welcome to episode 60 of the Real Food Mamas podcast. I am Stephanie Grinke, a registered dietitian, mom of two boys, and an expert at helping women balance their hormones naturally. I'm passionate about everything related to natural fertility, pregnancy, the postpartum period, and babies. You can find out more about my story and services over at rockyourhormones.com, and you can check out my program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby, which is a virtual pregnancy handbook that I created with the co-creator of Whole30, Melissa Hartwig, over at mamas.whole30.com. I'm doing this podcast solo today as my co-host Eglay Jacob is taking a well-deserved break from podcasting. She helped me out tremendously during my extended maternity leave and I'm forever grateful. Aglaie is a real food registered dietitian, mom, and author of the cookbook and cookbook Digestive Health with Real Food. Digestive health is always going to be a big passion of hers, but right now she is working on helping women heal their relationship with food and their body. She created the Whole Batch Syndrome online training that you can join today for free. The training is for you if you often feel like you're out of control with food and if food and health have become the center of your life. You can go to radicatanutrition.com slash I ate the whole batch to register and watch the first lesson today. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's podcast with Dr. Lodog. If you don't already know and love her, I'm sure you'll become a huge fan after listening to her story and her philosophy on food and supplementation. She's not only an expert in the fields of integrative medicine, supplementation, and women's health, but she's an extremely passionate caring practitioner who walks the walk. Before we begin our interview, here's her bio. Dr. Lodog's exploration of natural medicine began more than 35 years ago as she studied midwifery, herbal medicine, massage therapy, and martial arts before earning her medical degree from the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. An internationally recognized expert in the fields of integrative medicine, dietary supplement, and women's health, Dr. Lodog was appointed by President Bill Clinton to the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy, served as the elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopoeia Dietary Supplements and Botanicals Expert Information Panel, and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. She has been an invited speaker to more than 550 scientific medical conferences, published 40 peer-reviewed articles, written 22 chapters for medical textbooks, and has authored five books, including three National Geographic books, Fortify Your Life, Healthy at Home, and Life is Your Best Medicine. She has appeared on CNN, ABC's 2020, and is a frequent guest on The Dr. Oz Show and NPR's The People's Pharmacy. She currently serves as the Fellowship Director for the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. All right, let's do it. Let's welcome Dr. Lodog to the show. Again, I am so honored to have Dr. Lodog on this podcast with us. I have been following her for years. She is one of my idols. I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> so I'm very thankful for her time today. Um, so thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So delighted. Yeah. I'm a fan of yours. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm a fan. Oh, I'm blushing. <laughs> well, we, we talked about your bio in the introduction, and so I want to hear from you a little bit more about your journey, what led you to understanding supplements and giving this knowledge to the world. Well, I think I've always been interested in natural approaches to well-being from the time I was very small. I was always deeply connected to nature. You know, when I was little, I wanted to be a park ranger. Right. So never a doctor. I wanted to be a park ranger because I loved plants and uh, um, herbs. I went to an Aggie school 
for my undergraduate. Um, and, and, you know, when it came to supplements, I think that it was a natural extension for me from my love of herbal medicine and, and, and other supplements. And when in 1998, I was invited to um, join a committee at the United States Pharmacopeia. And the USP is what sets the standards for drugs and over-the-counter medications. And they were also taking on then the challenge of looking at dietary supplements and setting quality standards. I was actually asked to chair the committee starting in 2000. Um, and I have chaired various committees since then, I still do uh, here, you know, 20, golly, gee, 17 years later. Um, but my role is really the assessment of safety of dietary supplements and which ones will be allowed to go into the monograph. So I, I have a long, deep history with this. Um, and I've learned from lots of really smart people who've been willing to share their information with me. And then in turn, I'm just trying to share what I've learned as well. Oh, we, and we are very thankful for that. You know, your book, Fortify Your Life, which I think everybody should go out and get, goes over why supplements may be necessary in our modern world and what to look out for when you're choosing supplements, you're choosing supplements. and how to design a supplement plan that works for you based on your genetics, age, gender, and lifestyle. So lots of good information there. But I'm going to be um, a little bit selfish and pick your brain about pregnancy and postpartum and lactation concerns because that's really where our audience is um, mostly mamas and mamas to be. So of course everybody's situation. Well, we're in the right place then. We're in the <laughs> right place. I was a I was a midwife before I was ever a doctor. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would love to sit down with you and pick your brain all day, but I have you for an hour and I guess I'll have to be good enough. <laughs> um, but so everybody's situation is different. We know that. Um, but based on your research and your experience as a midwife and everything that you've done, what are some of the most common nutrients that pregnant moms and nursing moms are often deficient in that they may benefit from supplementation? Well, I think most women are familiar with uh, folate, you know, yeah. that you need adequate folic acid prior to conception. Um, we are concerned with the growing number of women who are choosing um, non-GMO cereals and foods not because we're concerned that you're choosing those, but because many of them are not fortified with folate. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, this has been one of the areas in which we've been able to get folic acid to women, and it's one of the reasons we've seen a decline in spina bifida and other neural tube defects in, the, in this country. And non-genetically modified foods, while that is beginning to change, the vast majority of them are not fortified with any additional vitamins or minerals. So there's not additional iron, there's not folic acid, et cetera. So we know that without consuming fortified foods or taking a prenatal, women are only getting about 138 micrograms of folic acid per day, and we need closer to 400. So I would say that women, if you know, if you're if you're having sex, you should probably be taking a multivitamin that's got folic acid in it because 50% of pregnancies are not planned. Doesn't mean they're not wanted, just means that we didn't plan on getting pregnant at that time. And we really need to have that folic acid on board months before your pregnancy. And I, I am an advocate for methylfolate or the activated form of, of folic acid. Folic acid is synthetic and it's what's added to fortified foods and it's what's in many vitamins. But folic acid is inactive. Your body has to do something to it for it to be able to be used. Anywhere from 10 to 30% of Americans are unable to 
um, methylate, their folate. And so if you get a prenatal vitamin or a multivitamin that's just already got methylfolate in it, you don't have to worry about your genetics, right? You don't have to worry if you're able to do that or not. Just use the methylfolate because it's already activated for you and your body can just use it uh, in the supplement. So that that's one. I think that's that's changed our 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 version of which type of folate is best, I think is shifting now because most of us are not going to get genetic testing done. It's not going to be paid for and it's about five to six hundred dollars. So I would just encourage you to use the active form. The other big ones that I think women need to be really cognizant of is choline, are choline, iodine, and uh, omega-3s with the dominant DHA. Um, and choline, you know, have you have you talked a lot about choline yep. with your listeners? Yeah, I'm Absolutely. so happy you're doing that. I'm so happy you're doing that. This has been a message that has been difficult to get out. And also, when you look at the number of prenatal vitamins that are out there, the vast majority of them contain no choline. And this is one of those areas that I think, you know, we took a wrong step going all the way back to the 1980s when we began to demonize eggs, particularly egg yolks. Right? right. So we went egg whites, egg whites, egg whites, and, you know, and, and we demonized the egg, even though humans have been consuming eggs for thousands and thousands of years. It turns out that, that other than liver, you know, like beef liver, calves liver, things like this, the place that we get most of our choline is from egg yolks. Mm-hmm. And the the pregnant, the recommended daily intake for pregnant women is 450 milligrams per day. But listen, if you're breastfeeding, that goes up to 550 milligrams per day. I don't know where you're going to get that if you're not taking a supplement or and or not eating eggs, right? Because an, the average large egg in the United States has between you know 200 to 240 milligrams of choline in it. So if you're eating a couple eggs every day, you're probably getting everything you need. It's just a lot of women don't eat two eggs every day. Or so liver where are at you all. Get? <laughs> or liver. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I talk to many women in their 50s and 60s and older, many of them talk about how when they were children, they ate a lot of liver because that was a common food. When I was a child, you could smell the liver cooking. My mom thought this stuff was, you know, gold. And and you walk in after school, and there she'd be cooking liver smothered in onions, and we'd be going, great, liver, because you could smell it in the house. We probably ate it once a week. Um, this was a common food. It was inexpensive, and organ meats were just – they just were a part of the diet where they're not as much a part of our diet anymore. But I think that this may be part of this shift. Um, and, and the question for me with choline is – and we don't know the answer. It's a question – but is part of what we're seeing with the levels of anxiety in children, the levels of um, attention deficit and hyperactivity, the inability, this sort of hyper response to stress so that even small things really exaggerate their responses? Is it in part due to the lack of choline in the maternal diet? And and this is a big question. We know in animals that that's exactly what happens when you give them a choline deficient chow, uh, because animals need choline just like us. The the animals, the offspring, the babies are much more likely to have strong startle reflexes. Um, they they frighten more easily. And we're wondering if this is a similar pattern to what we're seeing in human babies. So. You know, I worry about this because one, if they're not in prenatal vitamins, where are women where are women going to get all of this choline? And choline is added to infant formula, but if you're breastfeeding 
What I tell mamas all the time is you cannot give what you do not have. So it becomes vitally important to consider probably supplementation and then really being thoughtful about where you're going to get that choline from. Yeah, I totally agree. Choline and folate are nutrients that aren't in a lot of prenatals in the the supermarket shelf. You have to actively look for that. And that's something very concerning to me. They're going to cost a little bit more, um, but that composition of the prenatal is enhanced significantly when you have the right kind of folate and choline. And I know you work with um, innate response, right? And Megafood, yes. And Megafood, mm-hmm. yep. And those companies are doing a great job. I know they just re remade the formula and added choline to it, right? Is we did. Correct? Yeah. We did. I designed, I designed that formula. It was very interesting when they asked if I would like to work with them uh, about their prenatal because they had heard me comment that I wasn't happy with any prenatal vitamin mm-hmm. uh, on the market. This was a number of years ago. I've testified before Congress. I've gone. I've gone to Washington to... Uh, testify about the need to update our prenatal guidance, which has not been updated for almost 25 years now. Um, So prenatal vitamins, especially to the poorest of women that are getting it, you know, through their OBGYNs or their community clinics, health clinics, these are some of the, you know, most awful vitamins. They really are. And so I said, I'd be happy to reformulate your prenatal vitamin, if you would allow me to make it a vitamin that I would be content for my daughter to con- to consume if she was carrying my grandchild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's meant to me. You know, I believe that I believe that supplements are a part of it, right? Iodine was another big one yes. um, that has been very concerning because the CDC, when I was doing the research for my book, Fortify Your Life, I spent two years just basically data mining the Centers for Disease Control, their big NHANES study where they measured the blood and urine of thousands of Americans across the country, different ages, different ethnic groups, both men and women. And what we found for the first time in the United States, since basically we've been, you know, putting iodine in salt, Morton started that process in 1924. But for the first time in 2012, we began to see that women between the ages of 25 and 39 are borderline iodine insufficient. And this is just one of those things that are like, how could we possibly be, we, we eat so much salt. The problem is though in the United States, 80% of the sodium, the salt that's used and consumed, 80% contains no iodine. Um, the, the, the sodium that's in your potato chips, the salt that's in your you know boxed mac and cheese, The salt at the McDonald's or Wendy's or Taco Bell or Chipotle, all of these fast food restaurants and processed foods do not contain iodized salt. They just contain salt. So the few places you're going to get iodized salt is at home in your salt shaker. But now everybody's in love with Himalayan salts and pink salts and kosher salts and sea salts. And many of them contain very marginal amounts of iodine. So this is of deep concern to us. Um, When I was doing uh, part of my uh, midwifery work outside of this country, one of the things that, you know, we note is that we we work really hard to try to get iodine um, to women in other developing nations where they don't iodize their salt or women have less access. Because we know that getting adequate iodine to women who are pregnant is the most effective way of reducing mental retardation in the world. 
It costs less than 10 cents per year to get women the adequate iodine they need to protect their children. Here we are in the United States of America, and we're seeing now reproductive aged women borderline insufficient for iodine. Even mild deficiency of iodine during pregnancy increases the risk of your child having attention deficit hyperactive hyperactivity disorder and also a lower IQ. So, you know, the American Thyroid Association says all women who are planning on becoming pregnant or who are pregnant should take a prenatal vitamin that contains 150 micrograms of iodine, usually is potassium iodine. So that's another important one that you want to make sure that is in your prenatal vitamin that you're getting adequate amounts of iodine. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Thank you. Um, I don't think a lot of people know about iodine fully. People are becoming more aware of, I think, choline, uh, not quite, we're not quite there yet. In the next couple of years, I think that'll be a little bit more in the news. But iodine is just, yeah, not talked about at all. It isn't. And, you know, this affects your thyroid function. It affects your energy levels. Um, and and this is, again, one of those reasons you know, why I went and testified on the Hill, because I felt like this is really important that we update prenatal vitamins to make sure that you're going to get the iodine that the American Thyroid Association recommends. And they they recommend you continue that while you're breastfeeding also to ensure that your baby's getting adequate iodine um, uh, through your milk. So this is another one of those really important areas. And some women may be even more at risk. When we look at the CDC data, African-American women had the lowest levels of iodine. And and this is interesting to me because actually, you know, there uh, we have a, a disproportionate number of African-American kids who are on ADHD medication. Is there a correlation? According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, even marginal deficiencies of iodine increases the risk that a child will have ADHD. So this is important because, you know, pediatricians 30 years ago you know, 35 years ago, hardly any kid had anything we would consider ADHD. Now, I, I believe that we're overdiagnosing it to a degree, but I also believe we're really seeing children who have more difficulty with focus, um, being able to sit, to um, self-regulate. Uh, and I think that that can be a combination of both dietary in, insufficiencies as well as environmental exposures, things that we're uh, exposed to in our environment that are, are not healthy for us. Yeah, I think we also have to put a word of caution that too little is an issue, but too much isn't good either, right? We don't want to be dunking tons of kelp flakes or seaweed flakes on our food as well, right? No, and and you know the whole thing is that kelp is not a big, uh, it's not a big seller in the United States. It's not like Japan or Asia where sea vegetables or well seaweeds, but I call them sea vegetables are much more commonplace. They're not that commonly consumed in the United States. And when we looked across this huge range of women between 25 and 39, uh, as a whole entire group, they were low in iodine. The reason that the American Thyroid Association only recommended 150 micrograms of iodine versus the WHO, which recommends 290 micrograms during pregnancy, is because we know that people do have access to iodized salt here. So 150 is where they settled because they believe that it is enough to to prevent the worst kind of scenarios in the United States, but it is not enough 
to cause harm. So that's the reason you may see differences. Some companies put 300 micrograms in their um, prenatals or in their multivitamins. That is more in line with the WHO globally. Mm -hmm. But in the United States, the American Thyroid Association says 150 wow. micrograms should be it. And the reason <laughs> why is because, because of the salt issue. Okay. Yeah, and the reason I bring up the kelp flakes or the seaweed is because our audience is probably a lot more knowledgeable than the general population about foods and where they can get iodine. And I just want to make sure that they don't hear this, that iodine is important, and then just dump the entire bottle on their food, on their plate. That wouldn't it would not taste good either. As somebody who's <laughs> no. consumed a lot of kelp in her life. Um, and the other thing is with kelp, just be careful where you're purchasing right. it from, because we do know that a number of our kelp and our sea vegetables are, um, they have, they have a fair amount of heavy metal and environmental toxins too. So just another thing to be aware of if you're pregnant. Yeah. Great. Awesome. So we talked a little bit about prenatal vitamins and the fact that you help formulate the prenatal for innate and mega foods. So one question that I get a lot is whether or not a mom should get her prenatal in a whole food based form or a synthetic form. So I'd love to hear your take, maybe some of the pros or cons of each choice. Well, you know, first of all, I would just say you need to take a prenatal vitamin, whether it's synthetic based or whole food based, you need one right? There's just too many gaps that you'll have in your diet when you're pregnant to not take a prenatal vitamin. So if money is a real issue and what you can afford is, you know, maybe not your ideal prenatal vitamin, you should still take it. I think that I don't want to give women the message that if they can't afford a food-based vitamin, that they shouldn't take one. That's the wrong message. On the other hand, I would say food-based iron is so much easier to digest. Just use that one as an example. That food-based iron, you know, way back when, when I was doing a lot of baby catching, um, we'd get women who were very anemic, maybe their second or third child in a row, and they were very anemic. And you'd put them on iron, and they just couldn't tolerate it. They wouldn't take it. You know, you'd have them a couple chewable Flintstones, you know, you'd <laughs> give them beets, you'd give them glasses, you know, you're doing everything you can, try to get their iron up, but they just couldn't tolerate the 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 synthetic, the, the well, the, the non-food-based irons, which are really hard on the stomach and cause considerable GI upset. So food-based iron, that's one example of when those were more available, we started using them. And it was amazing how well they worked to treat the anemia, but women weren't complaining about the GI upset. So I'm a huge fan of food-based iron, and that's a significant component in many prenatal vitamins. I also think that that in some cases, we haven't studied all vitamins, but we do know that in the case of things like zinc or selenium or some of the other um, minerals particularly, when they're delivered in a food-based or a yeast-based, they're much better absorbed by the body and used by the body. I think that the body recognizes food matrix because that's how it's always consumed vitamins and minerals. It's, it never consumed them in isolation. They've always, throughout human history, we've consumed them as uh, you know, it, within a food matrix. So today when you're taking all kinds of synthetic things, uh, you know, in our food, you, you drink 2% skim uh, milk or low fat milk, you're, you're getting synthetic A and synthetic D because we've taken out the natural, we've taken out the natural vitamins that occurred in the milk and we've put back synthetics into it. So, it, you know, it's kind of a bizarre thing what we've done with our food. I'm much more of a whole foods person. Um, you know, 35 years ago, it was hard to shop organic because 
things weren't certified organic and there weren't as many food co-ops. But many of us, that has been our that has been the way we have lived our lives since we were very, very young. And so to me, a food based or whole food based vitamin in which the vitamins are delivered typically in lower potencies because it takes a lot more food um, to put in a matrix than just a synthetic vitamin. So it typically means you got to take a couple pills, not one. And it typically means that, you know, the potencies are not as high. But I'm a mega I'm a mega food kind of person, not a mega dose kind of person. So I, I like the I like the food based vitamins. Of course, I love the mega food vitamins. But I would also say that there are other, you know, whole food based uh, companies that you can you can choose from. But no matter what your budget is, you know, make sure that you're getting a prenatal vitamin. I spend extra money on a better bottle of wine. You know, I don't want the $2 bottle of wine, even though I can get it at Trader Joe's. I, I buy it an $8 or $10 bottle of wine, right? Mm-hmm. I buy organic fruits and vegetables because um, I would prefer not to have pesticides on my fruits and vegetables, and I wash them carefully. That Those are what is consistent with my values. So why would I spend so little on a multivitamin, especially during the most important time of my life when I am pregnant or when I am providing the food for my child through my milk? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I would much rather spend a little bit of extra money on getting a quality prenatal than buying 100 outfits for my baby that they may never wear. Exactly. Exactly. You're smart, though. You're smart. This is, you know, that's the biggest thing is that there's this myth that we get everything we need in our diet. Clearly, that is not true. Uh, During pregnancy, there are huge demands placed on our body. And then, of course, when we're breastfeeding. And some of us breastfed a long time. My son, I breastfed for three and a half years, um, my first child. And, you know, (laughs) then it was like, okay, he's never going to stop. We're going to have to try to, you know, we're going to have to wean you eventually. Versus my daughter, who was like one year, like, I want a cup, right? Give me the tippy cup. So I know, though, that the miracle of breastfeeding, I mean, when you really think about it, you know, that we take blood and make it into milk that we can feed our children with. It's it's just this miraculous, this miraculous ability that women have to be able to feed their young. And and it concerns me that a lot of women stop taking their vitamins or, you know, they, they're not taking their omega-3s. And I'm just thinking, where is your baby? The reason they put it in formula is because the baby needs it. If you don't, if you're not getting this in your diet, how's your baby going to get it? So... Right. And, and we know that in the postpartum period, you're probably not eating kale salad and salmon and all these other really nutrient dense <laughs> foods. You're grabbing whatever you can yeah. to feed yourself. So that makes it even in more important. Right, right, which, you know, stress and sleep deprivation take a toll and they actually use up, stress uses up your B vitamins and vitamin C. And, and we know that, you know, not, you're recovering from labor, which if you think about anybody and in, in maybe even a surgery, like you need your nutrient demands increase based on that. And then with the stress, your nutrient demands increase and then feeding a baby, there's no wonder your calorie needs are high because you have to be able to fit in that much more food to provide your body the energy and nutrients to keep up. You so may have, you may have other children at home yeah. too. It oh, may not yeah. be that you got the two-year-old and the five-year-old and you're trying to get that one ready for school, and you've got this one who wants to get dressed themselves, and and you've got a newborn. So I think that it's, you know, in this country is very interesting because there's an expectation, and it's even with our public policies, that in six weeks women should just be 
they're just back on their feet and everything's great and they should be back at work 40 hours and everything's going to be great. And it's such a myth. It's such a myth. And, you know, for some women, the reality is that they have to go back to work. I was off four weeks with my daughter uh, because I was a I was a resident. I was I was doing my medical training and I got four weeks off and then I was back on like in my training on call every three nights. I wasn't even coming home. I'm pumping. They're bringing the baby over, you know, so I can breastfeed. I'm going into the peds department so I can pump. It was so difficult. And here I was a doctor in training in family medicine and, and people were annoyed that I was having to take time to pump because I was trying to maintain my milk supply to be able to feed my baby. It's crazy. You know, and it's got, it's a little bit better today, but there still is that stigma or that pressure on moms that's very unnecessary and does a disservice to everybody. So- Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I love that you're, the way you framed, the way you framed a woman and her nutrient demands um, they're they're intense during the pregnancy because because you and you you are providing all the nourishment for this growing child, but they're they're even higher in many ways while you're nursing uh, that baby. And so you know we didn't mention omega threes, and I'm sure your folks know a lot about it. But I I would feel remiss not mentioning just how important omega threes are during pregnancy and then beyond. Um, and I love. I love, uh, there's a company called Nordic Naturals that I really like. Um, The American Pregnancy Association endorses their uh, prenatal omega-3 supplement. And and Nordic Naturals has such a high quality. And there was an independent study, not in pregnant women, but just in, in healthy volunteers, comparing four different types of fish oil. And they found that actually the type of fish oil that, that Nordic Naturals is, this concentrated triglyceride, is the most bioavailable and used by the body. You know, when you measure the omega-3 index in the bloodstream, it causes the best rise. So it is the one that I recommend now is the Nordic Naturals product. I have no relationship to that company, but I do recommend it. And I also, as a physician, love their infant DHA because it gives you, you know, five to 10 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds, they give you exactly how much you should be providing your baby from the, you know, earliest days on. I really like that product, um, both the, for the, for the mom and then also for the baby. I do believe many babies probably need additional omega-3s, especially if there's any history of asthma in the family, any history of eczema in the family, or any history of bad allergies. I think it would be wise not only for, for you to ramp up on your DHA, your omega-3 in pregnancy, but for you to actually give your baby omega-3s too. Yep, I'm with you on that. We use Nordic Naturals, and I have the the infant DHA as well for my Good guys. job. <laughs> do, you like, do you like it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I have a history of anxiety. And so, you know, with the rise in rates of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders and everything that we're seeing, it's even more important for moms to make sure they have their omega-3s on board. Yes, 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 yes. Good message. So just <laughs> keep taking them. And remember, if you're if you're twinning, if you've got twins, you need double the intake. Yeah. Okay, so while I have us on the topic of fish oil, another very common question that our listeners have is regarding cod liver oil. 
and the preformed vitamin A concerns during pregnancy specifically. So what is your take on that? Well, you know, I think it's been a little overdone. We're a little on the over fearful side on the vitamin A. The teratogenic levels where we're concerned begin at 10,000 international units and higher. A lot of these products like Carlson's and Nordic Naturals, their cod liver oil actually doesn't have that much vitamin A in it. You know, you're talking 800 to 1,000 IUs, and then you're also, you're getting your vitamin D and you're getting your omega-3. So you're sort of getting everything all at once. So you're a long way off from getting uh, excessive amounts of, of vitamin A. If you're taking a prenatal vitamin that contains only beta carotene, which a lot of them do, it's only beta carotene, or it's only got a very small amount of retinol form of vitamin A, and you're taking normal levels of cod liver oil, meaning you're not exceeding 1,000 to 1,200 IUs of your vitamin A per day in your cod liver oil, I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, there's a whole generation of us whose mothers took cod liver oil, and we took cod liver oil as babies. Um, my mom gave, used cod liver oil and, and us, it was funny, it was, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. I am so sorry. That's what you get when you live on a ranch. But, um, the, the, um, the, what I was, say, I was saying about my mom was when I asked her about the cod liver oil, because I knew she gave it to us because I knew my grandmother used it for my mother, and she took it when she was pregnant. And when I was training as a midwife, everybody used cod liver oil. Now, you have to remember this is a long time ago. 35 years ago, we didn't have all the supplements that we have today. So cod liver oil was, was dominantly in the market, and it was much higher in vitamin A, much higher. And I asked my mom, you know, did you take cod liver oil? when you were pregnant with me? And she said, of course. And then I said, how long did you give it to us? And she said, well, I started when you were very young, you know, when you were still, you know, maybe five or six months old. And then I said, how long did you give it to us? And she said, until you could run faster than I could. Um, <laughs> which is kind of funny because she's like, you know, when you could outrun me, then I figured you'd had enough cod liver oil. But I, I think, you know, the concern that we have around vitamin A is real when it gets to 10,000 IUs and higher. It's just... Um, Unless you're taking a large amount in a prenatal vitamin, if you're taking normal amounts of cod liver oil, meaning you're getting 800 to 1200 IUs of vitamin A, preformed vitamin A, that should really not be a concern for you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, our listeners too are moms that may consider eating liver and taking cod liver oil. And so that's where I would say, you know, one or the other, right? We, want, we don't want to be eating liver a couple times a week and taking cod liver oil daily. I would up. not recommend eating. I would not recommend eating liver once a week either, though. Um, I, I the amount of vitamin A that's in liver is very, very high. Especially I would beef say liver. That if you're con- exactly. If you're consuming liver, if you eat liver as part of your diet, um, I would say that you know you one should make sure your prenatal vitamin does not have preformed vitamin A in it. You should not have a retinol form in your prenatal, and I would also encourage you not to consume cod liver oil. Liver just has a ton of vitamin A in it. Um, it's a it's a great source, and this is again, you know, you know your listeners. I know thirty five years in practice, right. <laughs> I could probably count on two hands the number of, of of women who consume liver. I have a lot of vegans. I had a lot of vegetarians. I mean, I had a lot of women who um, didn't even meet, eat meat. So the vitamin A issue was was less problematic. But I will tell you, there's there's kind of been a demonization of cod liver oil that I've watched over the last 20 years. 
Um, and, and, and it's a little bizarre because unless, unless you're really consuming high doses of vitamin A, and the only way you're going to get that is through consumption of liver or through a pre, uh, a vitamin that's got a lot of preformed vitamin A in it, you're going to be way under the 10,000 limit, way under. Right. Yeah. I think the concerns for the general population are overestimated, especially when we're looking at food-based vitamin A versus synthetic vitamin A and supplements preformed. Um, but yeah, I've worked with women who they were taking cod liver oil every day or every other day. They were eating liver a couple times a month. And then every now and then they would take liver, uh, desiccated liver supplements. And it's just, <laughs> you know, there's such thing as too much They're of a good thing, right? They're overdoing it. Yeah. I mean, but I think that, I think the take home message for, for all of us is that when we ate, um, when we ate foods a hundred years ago, organ meats were very commonly consumed. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just liver, it was heart and kidney and um, all animals eat organ meats and, and humans were no exception to that. And when you look at sort of almost a perfect food, liver really rises to the top. Liver is so nutrient dense that you just can get so much nutrient from, from, from eating liver. It's just that a lot of people became concerned legitimately or not around toxins in the liver um and and you know cattle being raised and then and then eating the liver from an animal that was was not raised in a healthy way and that also experienced great stress during the last few weeks of its life before it was slaughtered um so there was a lot of questions around uh people being concerned about the real safety of liver from kind of toxin levels that were present in the liver itself so there was a lot of things that I think led to people consuming less liver over the last 20 or 30 years. I've heard them all. Um, but if you're eating liver or you're taking a vitamin that has the retinol form, which usually says palmitate or acetate, vitamin A, palmitate or acetate on it, um, I would say that cod liver oil is probably not necessary. If you're taking a prenatal or a multi that's just beta carotene, that's just beta carotene and you're not a huge milk consumer or, you know, other places you're going to get synthetic vitamin A, I'd say cod liver oil actually is a good choice. You'll get your vitamin D, you'll get your vitamin A, and you'll get your omega-3s all in one. All right. Thank you so much for clarifying that. I, I always tell people that, but it's good to hear another expert say the same thing. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another question about, have you heard of collagen peptides? I know they're becoming a lot more popular. There's companies like Vital Proteins that are producing them and Great Lakes Gelatin. Are you aware of collagen peptides? Yes. Okay. Um, a couple yes. of people are wondering if they are safe during pregnancy and postpartum. And I know my answer, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure why they uh, wouldn't. I'm not sure why they wouldn't be safe. Uh, as long as they were grass fed and pasture raised and all of these kinds of things, I'm not sure why somebody would be taking them during pregnancy. Can you give me more information on that? Yeah. So college- like why, why would you, I mean, for your skin or hair or things like that, or yeah, for skin, hair, nails, joint tissue growth, um, and repair, especially if you're thinking about recovering from a C-section, um, those 
peptides can help with healing tissue and repairing. Um, you know, if moms are dealing with severe morning sickness and they can't get any kind of protein in, sometimes they'll add a little bit of collagen peptides to a smoothie to get some protein in. Um, cause with the vital proteins one, for example, two scoops is about 18 grams of protein. So it's flavorless and you know, it mixes into water. So that way they can get a little bit of protein during that hard time to help with blood sugar regulation and all of that. Well, I, you know, this is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't see any, re, I, I'm more, I've always used more whey proteins. Okay. Um, you know, that, 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 well, that's just what a lot of us kind of were raised on. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, 30 years ago when we're looking at what was available and that's where most of the research has been done is on whey. So if you go look at the studies, there are hundreds of studies on whey protein. Um, and you know, and so when I look at it, when I look at something like, um, you know, collagen whey, or if I look at collagen peptides, I, I certainly don't, as long as they're being made, you know, from healthy animals, they I are. wouldn't understand why, wouldn't, why they wouldn't be safe. I mean, you know, we, for me, it was, it was always interesting when people started taking glucosamine and chondroitin supplements. And I thought, isn't it interesting? Why don't you cook bone broth soup mm -hmm. and get get that from the bone broth? Um, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? It, it's fine to take glucosamine as a as a or or chondroitin for your joints, and yet the reasons that probably so many people had healthy joints before was that they actually were consuming things that had lots of collagen in them. Um, so I I wouldn't I I don't have any uh, reason to assume that these would not be safe during pregnancy at all. Yeah, and I don't have any concerns either. Um, it's made from the bovine hides, so it's dairy-free. It doesn't have any casein or whey in it. Um, and I know some moms that listen to our, our show are trying to stay away from dairy for personal reasons or food intolerances or allergies, and so they're looking at this as a substitution. Absolutely agree with you that broth is a really good option for healing and tissue repair. Um, but that was that's just a common question that I get, but I'm personally comfortable with them. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't know of a I wouldn't know of a reason why it wouldn't be safe. Um, you know, any more than it would be from um bones. Uh I mean, if you're using the hide uh or you know, I I we people didn't traditionally cook hides. I mean, so they didn't that wasn't a traditional you didn't traditionally cook the hide itself. Mm -hmm. You used it for storage or for things like that. But bones were commonly consumed, um, and they were commonly cooked with, which was the other way people got lots and lots of collagen into their diet. Animals that don't get adequate amounts of collagen because they don't get enough bone or bone meal actually develop more joint um, dysplasia. So I, I'm a huge fan of, of whenever I make soup, um, we always use the bones. We always use them, and from uh, Whole Foods, we get the butcher, they give us all of their bones because you know they're all, when they see us coming they you know we only go in <laughs> twice a month from the ranch so we go out and we get a big freezer full and they and they always are you know asking me well what do you do with them I say well I give part of them to our animals and then we cook the we cook the rest and I freeze it and then I use that broth for everything I use that uh, that bone broth for for just about everything so I, I'd say that I'd say this is probably just another another way of getting collagen into you 
Yeah, it's funny. Um, with asking for bones from a butcher here, I live in California, and you actually have to fight people to get bones. They're usually either sold out or, <laughs> but you know, in other parts of the country, like you ask a butcher for that, and they're like, uh, "What?" You know, they they look at you like you're crazy. So it really depends on where you are. That's funny. Yeah, I, I can imagine California. You see everything. You um, do here. Here in northern New Mexico, a lot of people own their animals, though. So they, you know, when they butcher their animals, they, um, you know, a lot of the old Spanish here in northern New Mexico, it, they, they commonly consume all of the organ meats. Um, they cook with the bones. They use the hides for, um, you know, for for making clothing or belting or, or every piece of the animal is used. It's amazing. So um, here it's just, it, it is funny in Whole Foods. They see me coming and they're always like, oh, it's the lady that, it's, it's the doctor that wants the bones. She yeah. wants the bones. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. So we talked about pregnancy needs, maybe some of the vitamins and minerals to look out for. But what about postpartum? We know that we have increased nutrient needs, but what are some of the, the common ones that we need to make sure we're incorporating into our diet and lifestyle? Well, I think a lot of this depends upon how your labor also went, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had a, you know, relatively easy labor and, and, you know, not very much blood loss and that, I mean, you're talking about just sort of the standard nutrients that that you would need that you're going to get from your prenatal um, vitamin C for wound healing and, you know, plenty of iron to, to make up for anything that was lost. Clearly omega-3s during that third trimester and then for these first few months to also help protect against postpartum depression and kind of mood problems um, that may, go, may be going on. I mean, so all, all and calcium, magnesium, magnesium for relaxation, um, so that especially if you're having, um, you know, if, 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 you've, if you've had a cesarean section, if you had a hard birth. Um, cesarean sections are interesting because now one in three women are having them. I mean, one in three births are by yeah. cesarean. That is um, really just shocking to me. Um, I've seen that over my career and it, it just still boggles my mind. And, and, it, and I, I think sometimes we may be needing more cesareans because we're getting heavier. We see have more diabetic, you know, women with, with gestational diabetes, hypertension, a lot of these kinds of things. But, um, there's just no question. There's too many cesarean sections, but you've just had surgery. You've just had surgery. They've mm-hmm. cut through your abdomen and now you have all the things you have to do to heal, which means more protein, you need uh, you need higher protein consumption for those first four to six weeks uh, to really try to heal that tissue. You're going to need increased amounts of zinc and vitamin C uh, again for wound healing and for tissue um, regeneration. If you had a bad tear, similar kinds of things, you just have to think about all the things that are involved with wound healing that are going to allow the wounds to heal most efficiently. Protein is a big part. Uh, it's interesting you were talking about collagen earlier, but protein is such a big part of of regeneration of the tissue and healing. So I, I would say that you know you have to be smart and think how was your birth? What is your personal health like? Um, what is your what are your diet? How do you eat? eat? What, you know what kind of foods do you eat? If you're if your listeners are the kind of women that are eating liver and you know having having green smoothies for breakfast and all these kinds of things, they're probably getting a lot of what they need. Um, some women may need more though if they're down on protein if they're vegetarian or vegan they may have to they may have 
have to work a little harder to get that protein. I do think 500 milligrams of vitamin C two to three times per day. Remember, smaller doses more frequent uh, is the key with vitamin C. 30 milligrams of zinc for six weeks. That may be in your prenatal. You just want to look to see what's in your prenatal. But almost everybody needs additional protein, vitamin C. You need higher amounts of zinc. And then just make sure you're still getting your calcium and vitamin D. All the things that you were taking originally. Um, and omega-3s, if you've had any history of you know, depression, bipolar, things like this before your pregnancy, I hope you were really upping your omega-3s during pregnancy from 20 weeks on. You were really getting adequate, very adequate amounts, minimum of 500 milligrams of DHA and a minimum of 1,000 milligrams of EPA during that last part of your pregnancy. But if you've had a history of that also, I would just really encourage you to keep those kind of high, that kind of minimum dose um, in the postpartum time, at least for the first three months, um, to ensure mood stability for yourself. Probiotics are important in pregnancy for those last number of weeks, but they're also important for you. E even if you had a vaginal birth, you've just had a lot of trauma. You've had a lot of trauma, and um, everything now is is kind of you know coming back into its normal state. Replenishing your probiotics or making sure that you're staying on a good uh, multi sort of lactobacillus bifidobacterium probiotic will be important. It's really important during that last trimester of pregnancy, and it's really really important. Um, during those first few months uh, of, of um, their postpartum time, particularly if you're breastfeeding. And don't forget you can give your baby probiotics if the baby was born by C-section. Um, you know, if you know you're going to have a planned C-section, if it's a planned cesarean uh, that you're going in for, you may want to talk to your midwife or your, or your doctor, whoever's uh, helping you. Uh, to ask if they want to do a vaginal wipe, right, so that they can actually take some of the vaginal fluids from you before the cesarean section and then can I, and can apply it then to the baby's mouth, nose, lips, uh, body uh, right after the baby's born to inoculate the baby in that way and then also consider using the probiotics um, at least for the first six months of the baby's life. So number of things you want to think about both for you and for the baby. Um, and then, of course, if you're breastfeeding, starting within just the first few days of birth, we want to make sure that you're giving the baby vitamin D. If you live, I know you're in California, but if some of your listeners are way up north, you know, they live in Michigan, Minnesota, Maine, um, they should really talk to their child's provider about how much vitamin D does that child need. Um, the Canadian pediatrics now are recommending 800 IUs. Uh, if the baby is born in the winter or if the baby um, has dark colored skin, is a, is a darker skinned baby, they're recommending 800 instead of 400. So if you're li living further north, your baby's vitamin D requirements actually may be more. There was a big study done in Montreal looking at different doses, 400, 800, 1200, 1600. And no, none of the babies that got 400 actually had normal vitamin D levels. It wasn't enough. Um, so just make sure if you're living a little bit further north that you ask, um, is, should, should you be giving your baby 800 IUs versus the 400 IUs that is generally recommended starting within a few days after your baby's born? Yeah, and I think it's good for moms to get their vitamin D level checked too because we know how important vitamin D is for health in the postpartum and obviously during pregnancy as well. And, you know, I live in California, but when I work with clients here and they show me their vitamin D tests, they're often in the 20 or 30 range. They're low to deficient. 
So it's, you know, we're working yeah. inside a lot. We're not getting that sun exposure. Vitamin D is not present in a lot of foods um, or in the amounts that we need. So, yeah, it really almost doesn't matter where you live. Everybody can be at risk for deficiency. Um, but what are your thoughts about the recommendation that came out regarding breastfeeding mom's intake of six or 6,400 IUs of vitamin D. If mom's taking that much vitamin D, then her baby's getting sufficient amounts. Do you think that that's accurate or do you think baby should still be supplemented? Well, I actually think that that study was a pretty, we've had a couple now looking at um, five and 6,000 IU doses and being sufficient to be able to get uh, enough for the baby. The reason the American Academy of Pediatrics hasn't jumped on board is because I think they just don't think a lot of moms are going to take that much vitamin D. Um, and so want to make sure the baby's getting it. I think if you have a, 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 you know, an educated mom who is, is just totally on board, I think supplementing the mom is actually better than supplementing the baby because mom has also a very high need for vitamin D. So you're, you're sort of going to get it both ways. Um, we never had to supplement our babies with vitamin D because moms generally had higher levels, uh, depending upon where they lived in the world, um, and also their diet, uh, where they were getting their vitamin D from. The, the, the thing that I have is that while you're in California, and maybe most of your listeners are, I travel all over the country. I had a woman um, last year contact me from Detroit, Michigan, who'd heard me speak up, up there, and she is a dental hygienist. And she asked her OBGYN to, uh, if he would check her vitamin D levels. She's African-American living in Detroit with a, uh, her first pregnancy, the baby had been born premature. So I had presented some data on vitamin D in pregnancy and premature births and low birth weights, things like this. So she asked her OBGYN who said, no, you don't need to have that done. You know, huh. you just need to take your prenatal vitamin. And then she asked asked would he just test her or you know she'd be willing to pay for it and he said I'm not going to write that I'm not going to write to order you a test that's ridiculous she uh, she contacted me gave her the name of a lab where she could just get it done her level came back six nanograms per mil oh wow extremely low and when I told her that she should go take that then to her OBGYN so that you know she could get 50,000 a week and then she could just be rechecked in in eight weeks and see where she was she's like I'm not going to do that because he's going to be really mad at me. I heard this in Georgia just recently in Atlanta. I've heard this from a woman in Detroit. I've heard this from people in Washington, D.C. So it's like, you know, California is a unique environment because you have a very proactive, very educated um, constituency. Your population there is just really there. But in many parts of the country, women are asking for a vitamin D test and are being told no. And, you know, that... That's really upsetting to me because it also means that you've got a lot of clinicians that aren't keeping up with the literature. They're just not keeping up with it. Why would you say no, especially to a woman living in Detroit, mm-hmm. trying to preach her baby? I mean, it's just shocking to me. Um, and, and even in New Mexico, where we're checking vitamin D levels here, um, you know, my husband's level's in the 50s, but he he's a builder, so he's outside all the time, and he doesn't use sunscreen very well. So he's got lots of vitamin D. But we check a lot of people here in northern New Mexico, and it's routinely to find people that are 15, 18. You want that be – preferably you'd like it to be corrected before you're even pregnant, um, but you certainly want to get it um, – you know, you want to change those levels and get them boosted in that first trimester. 
Um, and you will have some loss of, you know, many nutrients after pregnancy. That's why I think if moms can, moms can take the 6,400, as long as she's not super deficient, if you've got a level of six and you're taking 6,400, yeah. you're, you're going to be taking all that into your body and your baby's not going to be getting much of it. So I'd say for a woman who's replete in vitamin D, that's a great plan. But if you're really deficient, your body's going to take what it needs before it gives what it can to the baby. Yep, I completely agree. And along the lines of you talking about how that woman was just laughed up, like her provider dismissed her concerns. We're both we're both really big fans, and I know you're a friend of, of Eva Rahm, and she had a great article called Being a Good Girl Can Be Hazardous to Your Health. Have you read that one? Yeah. Of course. Oh, I love that article. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it explains it's how we really terrible. have to be a health advocate. You know, we have to advocate for our own health these days and can't rely on our doctors all the time. No, no. And what, but what I guess hurts my heart as a doctor is um, we're here to partner with our patients. Mm -hmm. We're here to, we're here to partner with them and um, to help them along their journey. And it's not about us being right and then being wrong. It's, it's a partnership. So she was so reasonable in her request. Um, and then, and then to be afraid to go back and even show him the test results because she thought he'd be, he would be mad that she went around him sort of usurped his yeah. authority. And I just, I'm just sitting here going, wow, it feels like the 1950s, you yeah. know, when women were afraid to sort of speak up. Um, but I know this also because in New Mexico, I did a study many years ago um, looking at um, Africa, uh, Native Americans, Hispanics, and Anglos or Caucasians, and their perception on herbal medicine and herbal medicine usage. And it was very interesting how many Hispanics would not disclose to their physician that they used herbs because they didn't want the doctors to be angry at them. And if they had children, they said, well, we don't want to tell them because we don't want to, them to be mad and maybe not take care of our babies. Oh, man. Quote, oh. unquote. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So, so this, this not disclosing, um, you know, out of fear is, is, uh, and wanting, you know, not to disrupt the boat is, is hazardous to your health. And you do have to advocate for yourself. If everything we know in clinical medicine is doubling every 18 months, meaning everything we've ever understood or learned in clinical medicine is, is roughly doubling every 18 months, there is no way your doctor would ever know enough. So you have to research for yourself because nobody's going to be more invested in the health of you or your children than you. Yeah, and then pay attention to how they take in the information. If your provider rolls their eyes at you, if they are dismissive of the information, I say find a new doctor. I think it's so important, especially you know, I've had women who were afraid to find another OB for their birth because they didn't want to disappoint their OB that they've been with for 20 or 30 years. So similar to the story that you mentioned. And you know, sometimes you just have to find another solution if they're not receptive to this information you're bringing them. It's all about partnership. And if yeah. you are at a position where you cannot tell, look, most of us tell our doctors very intimate things. How often we poop, you know, <laughs> uh, milk is like our vaginal health. I mean, we talk about everything we disclose. If you can't disclose what's important to you or ask the questions that are important for you, it's not about disappointing somebody or not liking them. It's just recognizing that that might not be the right person for you at this point in your life. Right. That's all that means. That's all it is. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know we only have a couple more minutes, but I wanted to talk about breastfeeding supplementation. Do you, you know, so there's talk about fenugreek, Greek helping with supply and other galactagogues. And I'm, I'm sure you're with me in that it's a lot about supply and demand or demand and supply, I should say, you know, the more that you can get the baby on the breast, the more you're going to help stimulate the milk production. But let's say mom is doing that and she's working with a lactation consultant and she's trying all of these things, but she can't get her supply up. Are there any supplements that you would refer her to or consider her trying? I think there's a number of them. Women have been having to use plants forever to to stimulate breast milk. Uh, I published a whole paper on this with a colleague of mine, Paula Gardner, and uh, we did a whole review of breastfeeding nurses from around the globe. Um, So this is something near and dear to my heart. Lactation consultants are just just, you know, they're just heaven sent. So as long as you got a great lactation consultant and you're doing everything there, I would say if you're looking for, you know, additional supplementation, fenugreek does work for many women. It's quite safe at the doses that we're talking about, three and four grams a day. Moringa, a lot, a lot of my lactation consultant friends just swear by Moringa. Moringa is actually just such a healthy nutrient anyway. I mean, in Africa, it's heavily relied on for uh, protein, nutrition, and and it's a very popular lactagogue over there. Um, I use Blessed Thistle um, for myself with my first child uh, with Makoche, and Blessed Thistle was like, I thought I was going to be able to feed the neighborhood. I was shocked, um, even mm. though I was very aware of lactagogues and had used quite a few of them as, as a midwife was had recommended with, with my own son. I was just like, oh my gosh, I am, I, I'm in, I've got too much milk. Uh, so blessed thistle was it can also be quite amazing, um, and it's still used. Blessed thistle, like goat's rue, is still used in a lot of animal husbandry where you're using it with, with animals to increase milk production. So there's a whole variety of them, and there's a number of great companies that make um, you know mother's milk formulas, and I, I love them. They are never a substitute for just putting the baby on the breast. Just demand, demand, demand. The more you put that baby on the breast, the more milk you will make. However. We know that milk supply coincidentally goes down at six weeks when many women go back to work, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so if she needs something additional uh, to keep her milk up, don't be afraid to try one of the lactagogues. Uh, just make sure you're buying from a really good company so that you're getting good quality. It's the main thing with herbs. Just, you know, we want to make sure that you're getting good quality. But many of these women have relied on lactagogues for thousands of years when they had many children. And, and if they didn't have a wet nurse, there was no formula. So, I mean, it just came down to being able to make the milk or your baby would die. So, um, I, I, I say fenugreek, moringa, blessed thistle, um, to some extent goat's rue. I think those are kind of my favorites. Okay. Now, where would um, mama be able to check the safety of medications or supplements during her pregnancy and postpartum? Do you have any good resources yeah. there? Yeah, I think that um, Natural Database, the Natural Medicines Database, they they have a free section on a lot of things like Mayo and WebMD. There's like a free section um, for, you know, Natural Medicines Database. You've got to pay for a subscription, but they've got like a free part available on a number of these websites like WebMD and Mayo. Um, And those are useful to go to. I would just say that um, as somebody who specializes in the review of safety, that's that's my work at the USP. We don't hardly have any safety data for a lot of these things in pregnancy or breastfeeding. So it's 
it's it's our best we're we're doing our best guess on it based on the constituents like what do we know uh, what what's in the plant right fenugreek is made into a food so it you know moringa is consumed these are these are things that have low potential toxicity but in general with when you're pregnant it's best to you know use single items not not big combinations and lots and lots of things during pregnancy and stick with the things that are closer to food Right. Just stick thing, you know, other than raspberry leaves and nettles and things like that, stick with things that are are much closer to foods um, that we know are pretty safe, because the vast majority of things, you know, somebody just asked me about ashwagandha the other day. Uh, I get these I get these calls all the time um, from doctors whose patients come in asking them. And, you know, ashwagandha, we think is actually fairly safe in pregnancy. But in some of the Indian texts, it was referred to as an abortifacient. So, you know it's a roll of the dice. So when possible, try to minimize your consumption of, of herbs that have more strong medicinal power, unless it's really specific and talk to your midwife. Um, otherwise, you know, go to WebMD, Mayo, and look for the natural database um, sort of uh, places where they provide. And, and they are very detailed. They're extremely detailed. The nat- national database is extremely, um, extremely thorough. Uh, lists every reference under the sun, but but it could be a good way of looking for it. Um, if your doctor has access to it, or you have access to it through your university, if any of you are you know students at school or you work at a university, Natural Medicines Database is part of the database of many many colleges and universities, and you can go on and look through your library. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And with our last couple of minutes here, um, I know you wanted to talk about your newest campaign with Mega Foods, the Mega Pledge. So would you be able to talk to us a little bit more about that? Well, you know, um, in our research, we found that lots and lots of people are deficient um, in key nutrients. The data from the CDC is clear on that. Mega Food um, has said that they were going to um, do a Mega Pledge, meaning that if you go on, on to megafood.com and you just hit i you know pledge hit the megafood pledge they will send you a $5 coupon you don't have to buy anything they will send you a $5 coupon for you to use to purchase a multivitamin and they will give a bottle of multivitamins to someone who need who's in need meaning that um they they can't afford to buy multivitamins I think this is really important because uh, many of us who can't afford to buy multivitamins, we can make those choices. Um, We have the choice. Uh, Many people who are really struggling financially, they they just choose not to use a multivitamin. So I love the Mega Pledge. I love Mega Food. I love this company. I love what they're doing. They're going to give away 20,000 bottles of multivitamins. And for every pledge, they're going to work with Wholesome Wave. Um, which is another nonprofit um, to bring servings of fruits and vegetables uh, to the people in those communities. So I just think this is I think this is wonderful, and I I encourage anybody to go onto themegafood.com and take the pledge. Oh, that's wonderful! I will totally support that mission. Yeah, I I did too. I. <laughs> Had all my friends, we got a chain, we did a little chain and we, and we all went on and we're pushing the button and you know, that's all you have to do is push a button. You don't, you don't have to buy anything. Um, you will get a $5 coupon. So if you want a prenatal vitamin, are you looking for a good multi for you or your, your husband or your, 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 your partner? It's a great way to go. But also that feeling like you're giving a bottle of those prenatals or a bottle of, of Maltese to somebody who needs them, I think is just wonderful. It's, it's taking care of ourselves and helping take care of 
our brothers and sisters. And that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing to do. Oh, I agree. So I know our, our listeners are going to love you and love everything that you had to say. And they're going to try to search out for you anything that they can find. So where can our listeners find your books and other resources? Well, so um, my website, drlodog.com, is an easy place to find me. Um, there's a contact form also. We we can't answer every message we get, but we actually answer quite a few of them. So I really encourage that. And then I would also just say that um, – sorry. I would also say that they can come onto our Facebook page, our um, on Facebook on Dr. Lodog. Um, we, I'm very active on Facebook. That's kind of my compu- my community. That's my tribe. I like to share all kinds of information on my Facebook page. So I'd say drlodog.com or Facebook if you like the Facebook. And then um, my books are all on Amazon. They're all National Geographic books. I love them. And um, I wrote them to be of help. Fortify Your Life has a lot of information on vitamins and minerals, but My Healthy at Home is a great book for moms who are trying to take care of their families more naturally. Healthy at Home is a lot of my recipes, a lot of my herbs that I have used. And it also has a lot of information in there about what's safe in pregnancy and not. But um, that's that's a fun book, and a lot of women really like that one because, you know, what can I give my baby? What do I do for my three-year-old that's got a fever or is cold? Um, as well as stuff you can take care of for yourself folks so those are some some places um amazon you can get the books my drlodog.com uh where i blog and you can also reach out to me if you have a question and then facebook i hope you'll join me on facebook um just lots of good information there oh fantastic thank you so much for all of your wisdom and advice i really appreciate your time i know how busy you are (laughs) people are trying to get in touch with you left and right including your dog so (laughs) i really thank you But thank you. Thank you for what you do and for what you're bringing all the women who follow you and listen to you. And I just appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. So keep doing it and getting those messages out. Um, I I love it. So bless you and take good care. And and, uh, thanks to all your listeners for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too, love. Bye-bye. So this is it. Please remember that the views on this podcast and website are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. And thank you for listening to Real Food Mamas. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast to help us spread the real food word. We also invite you to visit our website, realfoodmamaspodcast.com, and our new Facebook page, Real Food Mamas, to find past episodes, leave comments, and ask questions for future shows. Remember, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture you and your family.